I swear, not every holiday I go on is cursed, but there seems to be a theme that I can't avoid. I get food poisoning in Indonesia. I have a car crash in Hong Kong. What calamity befell me on this holiday? Let me tell you a story of how I learnt that my crisis management skills were up to scratch. This episode of Lessons from Life on the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast is entitled The Breakdown. Damien, the tall, friendly atheist dad. I hope you're having a great day and welcome to the Tall, Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Tick, tick, tick. I can hear a noise. But the weird thing is, is that it's ticking in time with the revs of the engine. When the engine is slow, the tick is slow. And when I press on the accelerator, the noise goes faster. It was weird. I know that cars do sometimes make weird noises. And weird noises sometimes do clear themselves up. It wasn't panic stations at this stage, but if I lost power, saw a black colour smoke, or if a weird oil smell came through the air vents, I knew I was in trouble. And barely two minutes after I drove out of the client's car park and was onto the main road going home, all three happened. Shit. The only saving grace was that I wasn't too far from home, and my mate was a department manager at the local Volkswagen dealership. Time to pull a favour, and then call my insurance company to get my car towed. I love my former employer. I'm currently self-employed, and somewhat loving it, though it is tiring and stressful in equal measures. But I have an excellent relationship with them, because they engage me and my crew to put our decades of national-level technical knowledge to good use and make noise go away. In a fortunate coincidence, at the very time I needed to buy a vehicle, they happened to have one for sale. This is because what they did in regards to vehicles is what is common in Australia. Finance the purchase of a vehicle via a fleet company over a multi-year lease period which covers the servicing, the fuel and the repayments, after which the company would own the car outright to either keep or sell. Lease periods are typically five years, and my former employer wasn't keen on keeping this particular five-year-old car that had had a hard life. And again, I was fortunate in that they wanted to offload the car as soon as they could, so we struck up a deal. I bought an incredibly suitable commercial vehicle, complete with roadworthiness certificate, which is vitally important when buying a second-hand car here in Victoria, and they got a headache off their books. Welcome to the family, Lloyd. 
Yes, in my family, we name our cars. This one is Lloyd. Deal with it. There were, however, two downsides to Lloyd. One, Lloyd didn't have a Bluetooth phone system. And for a person who both loves his tunes and can spend hours a day on the phone and on the road, this will soon need to be rectified. And second, Lloyd didn't have a second row of seats installed, which meant there was only one seat for the driver and one seat for a passenger. And with someone who has two kids, you can imagine the frustration my wife felt when I told her on a daily basis that, until I get the seats installed, I can take either one kid to school or none. Her pick. Someone found me an aftermarket middle bench seat module lying in a warehouse that I got an air tasker to fit. And then I found an awesome Pioneer dual phone Bluetooth system that I miss to this day. Aside from that, Lloyd the Volkswagen was economical on diesel, able to carry large boxes and slightly heavy loads. The large gap between the front seat and the middle seat meant even tall people could fit in it. And for the numerous business ventures I was involved with, I couldn't ask for a better friend. Except not to die at an inconvenient time. Then again, when is a convenient time to die? That noise you heard before? That was the fuel injectors after they'd become blown apart off of the fuel line. At this stage, they'd become merely detached, though still intact. But the noise of a clicky running engine soon turned into a dead engine that sprayed diesel everywhere and sent fumes into the passenger compartment once the fuel injectors came clean off. The cost to repair? Circa $5,000. Yikes. And that was with Josh the mechanic looking after me. And this put me in the position where I had to decide. Spend a lot of money to keep a faithful, reliable, and wholly suitable vehicle going? Or spend anywhere up to 10 times that to get a brand new one, as well as dedicating the time to research which one I would, should, or could get as a replacement? While repairing Lloyd was initially the correct answer, little did I know that by the end of the year, the actual answer to the question would be both. By the time summer had come that year, I'd been working for myself for a while and wanted to go to Adelaide for Christmas for a few days. I'd been back six months earlier for a significant birthday in the family, and I thoroughly enjoyed the fleeting mini-holiday I had with my son. In a rare moment of decisive judgement, I went ahead and booked a decent hotel in a happening part of the city using five years' worth of frequent flyer points that had been earned through repeated use of the credit card. I even arranged for someone to help with the work while I was away. Though the kids had finished school for the year by the time of the dates booked, unfortunately, my wife couldn't come because holiday time off at her work is ultra-competitive. So it was just me and the kids on this holiday. And in hindsight, the inability to decide to come along was one of the best decisions she ever made. To keep costs down, I decided to drive over to Adelaide from Melbourne. It's about 500 miles or 800 kilometres, so it's a good 10 hours behind the wheel. But Lloyd was efficient enough to do the trip on barely $100 of fuel. So my options are 
$100 of fuel and 10 hours of family time behind the wheel, or almost $1,000 of plane trips, minimal luggage allowance, as well as needing to either hire a car or rely on taxis. It's a no-brainer in my book. I'm driving. So, on the morning of that fateful Saturday, we stash our luggage in the rear compartment. I put one kid and the snacks in the middle, and the other kid with me in the front seats, and it's hi-ho, off we go. I'm excited. A couple of toilet stops and a coffee break later, we're making good time, enjoying the glorious sunshine, appreciating the scenery around, and looking to arrive in Adelaide that evening. We approach the 300km mark of our journey, and then it happened. Tick, tick, tick. Son, can you hear something that sounds like a ticking noise? Yes, Dad, I can. The panic in my mind instantly goes from zero to 50. If two people heard the same noise, then I simply can't dismiss it as me hearing things. I take my foot off the accelerator. Ticking noise slows. Foot on. Ticking noise increases. The panic in my mind goes from 50 to 100. It can't be. The same issue, barely four months after getting it fixed the first time? As luck would have it, just as the problem started, we were approaching the regional town of Horsham. So my plan of action right then was to get into the town proper, pull over to the side of the road, and brace myself for the worst. I pop the bonnet open, and I'm greeted by the sight of the engine bay, covered in a most wonderful coating of diesel fuel. I wonder what would happen if I turned the key, I wondered. Click, click, dead. I may or may not have blurted these words out loud in front of the kids. I don't usually swear in front of the kids, but in this instance, I cut myself some slack. Cue my daughter waking up. Dad, where are we? We're stuck. I don't think we're going to Adelaide anymore. At this stage, I'm mapping out all of the potential courses of action I can take, and all with one common thread. The car isn't starting. In all this, there are four extenuating factors working against me. One is the heat. We've stopped in a regional town on the edge of a region called Little Desert, in the middle of the day, approaching the middle of summer. The longer I sit in the car, the more miserable I get and the grumpier the kids get, which adds to the stress of the situation. Two, it's a Saturday afternoon. Even in Melbourne, lots of mechanics shut up shop at midday, and that's if they're even open on Saturdays at all. So what hope do I have 300 kilometres away from the big smoke? Number three, it's right on Christmas. It's typical business practice in Australia for most small businesses to shut down on the weekend prior to Christmas and close until New Year's. So even if Jesus himself appeared to me right there and then to guide me to a mechanics workshop, they'd be shut for the holidays anyway. And number four, pretty much every tow truck operator in the area was tied up helping the Victorian Country Fire Authority 
remove burnt-out cars from areas hit by the black summer bushfires. Record-setting bushfires that required the Defence Force and firefighters from overseas to come help with. Fair enough, I suppose. The first decision I had to consider was, should I continue going on to Adelaide or head back to Melbourne? If I head to Adelaide, I'm going to need to hire a car, and probably at exorbitant rates, as well as then find a way back. Whereas if I just head straight back to Melbourne, I've then lost five years worth of frequent flyer points, and I won't get to see my extended family and my friends. The second decision to consider is what do I do about the car? Do I find a place in Horsham to repair it, or do I get it towed back? If I find a repairer in Horsham, surely it's going to be both very, very expensive, as well as delayed, and can I trust any mechanics in Horsham to fix my baby? Or do I get it towed? But if I get it towed, how much is that going to cost? When can I get it towed? My tools and my valuables are inside, and this is the methamphetamine capital of Victoria. And also, what about us? Tow trucks can only take one passenger, but we are three. And three doesn't go into one, unless you're a Protestant Trinitarian, which I'm not. I know. Call my insurance. Surely they can help. Sorry, sir. Your coverage entitles you to one tow truck service per year, and your coverage renews in two days' time. Because, of course, when my car broke down the first time, that's when I used up my towing credit. Okay, so what can I do when my coverage renews? If you don't want to tow the vehicle to a repair inside the 350km radius, it will cost you approximately $950 to get your vehicle back to your home address. At those prices, I can do without their help. Yikes. I jump on the interwebs and see a few websites for regional towing companies and do the ring around. The ones that do call me back are either unavailable or charge even more and take longer than what my insurance company was offering me. Long story short, I have no hope of an instant resolution. I needed a circuit breaker, and that circuit breaker was a trip to the nearest McDonald's. We took a taxi to the nearest McDonald's, sat down, and I grabbed whatever McDonald's sold that could help drown my sorrows, all while furiously texting my wife back home, who, if my panic was at 100, hers was at 200. In a moment of clarity, though not without regret, I made the decision to go back home instead of continuing to Adelaide, and coordinate everything to do with my car from the safety of my home. This was the cheapest, safest, most convenient option. Once I made my decision, I texted my family and friends with a sincere apology to tell them I won't be coming to see them. There go my hopes of a relaxing holiday in Australia's largest country town, and there go my frequent flyer points. This, however, means leaving my car on a street in a town 300 kilometers away from home. It was a risk, but it was a risk I had to take. There were still two pressing issues to consider. How do we get back home? And what do we do about the luggage and valuables still in the car? By the time I made my decision, we had missed the coach back to Melbourne for the day. Yes, we were that far out that not even the train network runs daily services there. 
So it relies on coaches to connect towns. There is a coach running at 6.15am the next morning. So if we wanted to get on that, it meant a hotel stay and an early wake up. And the valuables? For that, I took an Uber back to where I left my car, grabbed as much as I could, making sure to remove anything with my name and address on it, jumped back in the Uber back to the hotel, and spent half the night rearranging suitcases to fit everything in. The next morning, we woke up at some ungodly hour to jump into a taxi to go to the V-Line coach station just so we can have the pleasure of standing around awkwardly with other people who had also woken up at the same ungodly hour to catch the same coach back towards Melbourne. The journey back to Melbourne involved a one-hour coach trip back to Ararat, then a two-and-a-half-hour train journey back to Melbourne City, and then from Melbourne City catch another train to go back to the suburbs. On the train, I'm reading. My daughter is sleeping. My son is watching YouTube on his electronic device. But all the while, my mind is ticking over at the possibility of my car being either broken into or set alight. My mind, however, is at ease knowing that my car won't be stolen, unless the thieves happen to have a set of Volkswagen fuel injectors handy and can rebuild an engine. There's an ability I refer to as crisis management. How you handle yourself in a crisis, under stress, and you have to make time-critical decisions that lead to effective outcomes and minimize damage. Some people seem to be very bad at crisis management. They're the ones who either respond with anger and bluster, or clam up and go silent. But I've learnt, especially through the course of my psychotherapy, that being able to stay calm and look at what needs to be done in the event of a crisis is how you effectively navigate it and is a sign of maturity. Sure, in this situation, no one's life was at risk, but still, it was quite a crisis. We're far from home, in a quiet country town. Our transport options are limited. I need to make a decision that will have financial ramifications and I also need to handle the emotions of highly emotional people. But I held things together to ensure the safety and well-being of my children and our possessions. Everyone got home safely, and with the assistance of my wife, who seemed to be angry at me for something I had no control over. We got all of our luggage and valuables back, but yeah, um, I had to use either my wife's car or my motorbike to get around for a while. The conclusion of the story is that I ended up buying a new car. My mate CJ and Nick at the dealership looked after me. I managed to find a relatively cheap towing service to get Lloyd back, got the rest of my tools out, sold them to a guy who gave me a new lease of life, and then used the proceeds of that sale to help pay off the loan I took out to buy the new one, the Chonk. And if my crisis management skills weren't up to scratch that day, I'm sure I'd be telling you a whole different story. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe and rate it on whatever platform you find it on and share it on your social media. Continue the discussion on the discussion post as well as check out more thought-provoking content over at www.tallfriendlyatheistdad.com. If you wish to be a guest, 
would like me as a guest on your podcast or platform, or even to be a sponsor, head over to the Twitter account for this podcast, at TFADpod. But the best way to support this podcast is to head over to the iTunes bookstore or Google Play and purchase your copy of The Best Religion for the Task at Hand, a response to creationism and why humanism is morally superior to the Bible. You'll be engaged by it. Thank you for listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you next time.